welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And if last weekend's bank holiday wasn't weird enough, not last weekend, the one before, when it yeah. all got a bit strange. Thursday, Friday bank holidays don't work for me. No, they don't, because we ended up with a three-day week and then a five-day week, whereas normally when you've had a bank holiday, you have a four-day working week. Yeah. And positive news, we referred to positive news last week. We did. You spotted an article in there talking about... 10 reasons why a four-day working week might be more appealing. Oh, we've talked about this quite a bit, haven't we? I think the most recent time we talked about it was on the back of um, an experiment that Microsoft had done in, was it Microsoft in Japan? Yeah. uh, And PwC were doing something as well, weren't they? But yeah, a couple of the big... And they'd shown that the profitability, sorry, productivity had improved with a four-day working week. Well, um... There actually, there's a trial going on in the UK at the moment, um, just seeing um, how it works for some UK employees. Um, it's being run by academics at Oxford and Cambridge. And uh, I think one of the big firms who've got signed up is Canon. So, yeah, it seemed, seemed quite a good time to um, come back to the subject of the four-day mm. working week. And then, yep, yeah, we saw this article dated the 1st of June uh, about... 10 reasons why we should have a shorter working week. So also um, for me, it's quite relevant because we're looking at working patterns at my workplace. And one of the patterns we're considering for one worker group is is four day week uh, with a rotated on um, one, one of the days off is, is um, rotated through the week. So the first week you have Monday off, second week you have Tuesday off, third week ah. you have Wednesday off. But it's not actually shortening the hours. It's sort of four, 10 hour. So it's condensed hours. Conde- that, yeah. yeah. But um it seems seems to be um quite positive from that worker group that we're talking about. Have you got a mainly male workforce? Yes, we have, yeah. Because as we've talked about before, often the childcare arrangements would fall with the woman, so it might be harder for a woman to rotate which day it is. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's a consideration, I guess. But um but yeah, that whole condensed hours thing, I suppose your biggest challenge is most people would think, oh, can I have a Monday off or a Friday off? But it'll be interesting to see how this yeah, rolling programme works. And and also that it's combined with um, a call-out rotor as well and um, with the number of people that they've got on the rotor. It just seems to... You know, when you're pulling it all together and you're looking at how the rotor works, it's like, oh, that's, that's quite appealing, that is. Mm, mm. Um, but anyway, back to the article from Positive News. So, yeah, the 10, 10 points that they come up with. This is from... Um, the New Economics Foundation that have provided these 10 reasons why. Um, and the, we've talked about the New Economics Foundation a few times before as well. And they've um, long been supporters of sh- shorter working weeks. And so th- this list has come from them sort of supporting the idea. What do you think, Heather? Uh, uh, I think it's one of those things where I, I, th- I think it's great. I think it's great. I have a concern that employee, we're, we've talked a lot about, you know, how employees are becoming more and more discerning all the time. And we're going to get to a place where this is the norm. Yeah. But there will always be some people for whom this isn't possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so there could be a backlash from certain members of staff versus others. It's not always possible to condense hours. Yeah. So I think, I think, it's going to take a bit of ironing out. Yeah, I suppose the other risk is as well that certain jobs, you, you just have a job to do. And whether you 
spread that out over five days or seven days or squeeze it into four days you're still essentially doing the same job so yes. you might not get the benefit so if if you don't actually re-engineer the job that you're doing mm. then you, you may be just under pressure to get it done in yeah. four days instead of five yeah I, yeah I think so and I think what um the lady who um who came up with this a lady called Anna Coote it's not some of the benefits are not solely about the employee so the first one is a smaller carbon footprint and if we think about you know people will only be traveling to work four days a week there's the carbon footprint, but there's also the cost at the moment with cost of fuel. Yeah, so I guess if you're lining up, so say, for example, I think I've heard of one company, like a consulting uh, company, they're, they're just taking Fridays out of the equation. So you, you've got nobody in the office on a Friday, so you wouldn't be heating the office either. Yeah. You wouldn't be yeah. using the electricity. So, yeah, I can see that working Whereas if you're doing the thing we're talking about and just rotating it, it might suit the employees, but you're not actually having any downtime in the workplace. No, but, but then it goes back. It's like a can of worms, isn't it? Because then it goes back to what's the expectation of your customers? You know, we've through COVID, we've had the whole, oh, everybody's working from home, so it takes three hours for somebody to answer the phone. Well, actually, from a customer's point of view, that's not very satisfactory. Yeah. So you might go and put your business with a company where you can actually get hold of somebody. So if it's a company that just decide on a Friday, yeah, we have a th- we have a 3-day weekend rather than our staff having a 4-day working week, that brings its own problems and challenges yeah. as well. But yeah, that certainly combined with the um hybrid working or working from home or you know working from different locations, yes. Yeah, if you're only travelling to work for instead of five times, clearly that's going to save money for, God, with the so, yeah. cost of fuel at the moment, but also yeah. reduce your carbon footprint. So. Yeah, and time, because it potentially means that you've got an hour in the morning and an hour at the night, so that's two hours of, of your life that you're getting back yeah. every week. Okay, so second point, a stronger economy. So the point that Anna Coote makes here is, if handled properly, a move towards a shorter working week would improve social and economic equality, easing our dependent on debt-fueled growth. So um, she says that Netherlands and Germany have shorter working weeks than Britain and the US, yet their economies are stronger or just as strong. So that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because that's a, more of a difficult one to say that's the direct impact of the shorter working week. That yeah. the, the, It's happening in those countries is it the result of the shelter working week or are there lots of other variables at play as well? And are they suggesting that if people are only working four days a week, then they have three leisure days when they're more likely to be spending money out out and about doing stuff? You know, what, yeah. where does that balance lie? I'm not entirely clear on that. Yeah. Um, also, it, it's that thing as well. So if you've got more leisure days than the people who are in the leisure industry... I've got to work the days that you're not working. Yes, because suddenly... So you've got to get that balance. Yeah, there, a quiet it? Monday in a pub is a thing of the past because for some people that's their yeah. Sunday or their... Or like Sundays when all the shops used to be shut. That was very clearly... And all the pubs were shut yeah. in Wales. Yeah. Yeah. So now you know, the hospitality sector is expected to be 
fully working and retail fully working on a Sunday. People just yeah. want to tolerate that idea of, yeah, we just close everywhere on a Sunday. <laughs> so it's quite an interesting yeah. balance, isn't it? Yeah. What about better employees is the third point. Yeah, so that's um, that's about um, well-being in terms of not working and pushing themselves. But, of course, then the flip side is... Um, are people more likely to then be working to try and get everything done? And if you don't manage the physical number of hours mm. and breaks... Yeah. So I say you've got to re-engineer the job totally. somewhat, haven't you? Yeah. You don't just expect them to, to fit that into the work. And I think that leads on to point four. It says there's lower unemployment because you're spreading the work out over more people. You've got to actually make that commitment, haven't you? So actually what you've got to do to make these first few points work is change the nature of the job reduce yeah. the actual work the outcomes expected yes you know, reduce the actual hours not just condense the days into four yeah and and i i think as we've already said dependent on your industry sector it's going to be harder or easier to do some of that if you're leisure if you're manufacturing you know i mean you know the west midlands famously you know they have a two-week shutdown you know you just shut the factories for two weeks and that's factored in to the whole production schedule for the whole 12 months well not everybody not every business could do that you can't just close a hotel for two weeks and say sorry nobody can come to stay so again i think as this starts to to roll out if it becomes more of the norm it's going to be harder in certain sectors yeah and not impossible though it just takes creative thinking doesn't it you've got a plan yeah Yeah. and actually taking it as reducing the working week, not squeezing the yes. working week. Yeah. 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 So number five, improved well being, definitely, if you reduce the hours yeah. and not, not just the number of days, yeah. Yeah. It six is interesting. More equality between men and women. Um women currently spend more time than men doing unpaid work. Are we assuming here then that if the men are doing less paid work that they will automatically do more are the unpaid work? I think that's, that's well. This is in positive news, so let's be positive. Let's be positive, yes. yes. More of an equal share of both the paid and unpaid roles. Going back to what I was saying about childcare arrangements, for example. Um, again, it's a different way of working. Now I know. Okay, you know the days when the wife stayed at home and the man went out to work. You know those days you know have broadly gone pretty much gone pretty much yeah. gone but we still do have if a child is poorly it's usually in a in a heterosexual relationship it's usually the female who will be the person who's sorting out who's picking up the kid how that's happening am i leaving work early etc but together with that we need the cultural shift as well yeah. don't we yeah, yeah it's a different mindset so yeah. then uh, high quality affordable health care is number seven. And again, that that's um, that stemmed from the fact that we're reducing the number of hours so that you're actually having to pay for fewer hours childcare. Yeah. Um, and give more time to spend with the children, um, more activities. But and... they're saying you'll get higher quality childcare, but it will be more affordable. But again, if there's less demand... Will there be less availability? It, it, you know, do they go out of business because they haven't yeah, got the business? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. There's there's a bit more of a shift needed than just yeah. just one thing, yes. isn't it? It's, yes. it's, 
It's a paradigm shift. I like that phrase. Yes, it is. Paradigm shift. Yeah. Um, Number eight, more time for families, friends and neighbours. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, Making more of later life. Okay. Um, It says it made the transition from employment to retirement much smoother. Uh, And I think, again, that's got to come with other things. That's got to come with an acceptance that maybe companies could consider um, phased retirement or mm. reducing the hours gradually because just changing to a four-day working week isn't automatically going to make retirement any easier. It comes with a number of other caveats as well, I think. True, and we also have, with an ageing workforce and with later retirement ages coming in, more and more people are doing a phased retirement. You know, the idea that you on you know the day of your 65th birthday or whatever was you know the equivalent you just stop work yeah because people are generally healthier and living longer then they they want to work yeah also interesting sentence in this article it says uh, shifting suddenly from long hours to no hours of paid work can be traumatic often causing illness and early death mm-hmm. hmm. but what are you wanting from your uh, retirement is it no it's not but it, i was looking at some stats today actually and there is a potent there is a school of thought that particularly with males when they retire what do they do they lose a sense of purpose lose, yeah. yeah and so they might go to the pub and spend more time oh yeah good point. You know, and then that impacts on their health whereas it's easier for a woman to you know, busybody her way at the WI or do flowers at the church or, you know, do little bits of cleaning jobs. Or you, you, It's a much... A guy going and washing cars to give him a, a sense of purpose is a, sometimes is a harder thing for a man to do and accept of himself than the idea that a lady would go and work in the post office for a few hours on a Thursday morning or whatever. Yeah. Um Interesting. Mm. And then number 10, a stronger democracy. Not one I would have thought of. So it says we'll have more time to participate in local activities and get involved in what's going on around us locally and nationally. That's interesting. Again, that positive news here. Let, let's think positively Yeah. that you would use that extra time in a positive way. Just reading at the bottom there that the article is a rehash of one from 2017. So... Pretty much like us, that Positive News have been looking at the shorter working week for a, a long time now, and um, now seems to be the right time to talk about it again, as we're doing this trial in the UK. Be really interested to see um, the results of it, mm. um, but also I think it's it's quite a long journey we're on towards this. Yeah, and I think it has been a long journey, and. It's been accelerated by COVID and yeah. by the, the need. great resignation, as yeah. we talked about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I noticed that the big issue had an article about it, um, and they were talking about um, more and more trials taking place. And um, um, a guy called Mr. Ashton. Uh, lost his first name John Ashton he's a doctor he believes that he talks about all of the things that positive news have said but he thinks that there's probably another 10 years you know this is this is another 10 years in the making Uh, yeah because of all those things we said you know it's got to take a society and cultural shift hasn't it for it to all work yeah yeah 
Yeah, and, and, and one of the examples that he gives is about teachers. You know, teachers are burning out. Well, actually, if you could stagger the working week so that they work, you know, a four-day week yeah. each, a bit like you were saying about your rotating shift system. So, interesting times. Don't, yeah. Yeah, interesting times. Let's see. Watch this space. So, this week, we have also in our sticky mitts... Uh, a book. We have. Hardback book, no less. Listen to this. Where have I put my copy? It's in? underneath your laptop, Heather. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. It's keeping the fan <laughs> off my legs. Sorry. Yes. 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 So we, we have a, a hardback book here. Yes. Uh, it's quite an intriguing title. It's called The Man Who Mistook His Job for His Life. Um, it's by a lady called Naomi Shragai. Um, and to be fair, this woman did refer to the fact that her name is quite difficult to pronounce. And she used to do stand up comedy. And she used the name Naomi Rose instead. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just easier. Uh, yeah, the subtitle of the book is How to Thrive at Work by Leaving Your Emotional Baggage Behind. And I think that the title does it down, actually. It's a, a well-researched, um, academically um, supported book. Um, and I think potentially... Leaving your emotional baggage behind sounds a little bit flibbity gibbet for what it actually yeah. does provide in the book. Yeah, and and she talks about because her career path has taken her through various um, careers, but she actually is an executive coach, and so she takes she makes reference quite a lot to people that she's worked with and sort of tells their stories and their scenarios which I think is quite interesting because it's real life examples yeah that's what I found most engaging about it so um, she's a business psychotherapist as well yeah. so um, she's got 30 years worth of experience working with people and she brings those into the book that that for me was really engaging because you, you can you put a name I nearly said you put a face I didn't see any faces but you can imagine that person and it brings the stories to life so mm. that otherwise it risks becoming a bit too academic I guess and we know how much you like a story I do I love a good story so um she says at the beginning you probably don't realize but every day at work we unknowingly reenact conflicts dynamics and relationships from our pasts repeating patterns of behavior that help us navigate our family lives but which stunt our professional ones i found a few really interesting revelations there and i was reflecting on some um relationships in the workplace that i've had through the past and then then sort of spotting some of the mm. things that other people had experienced from their childhood and they're from their formative years so um from that respect i, I was a little um was it surprised i maybe not surprised because i i thoroughly expected to um, learn something but i think i learned a bit more about myself than i well did you not find it um reassuring that you know the way that you've behaved or the way that you've responded or reacted it's and textbook. It, 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 you <laughs> Literally, know, but yeah. but you're right. This isn't textbook in the in the in the way of you know dry textbook. It, it it does, and even though it hasn't got any diagrams, it does bring scenarios to life. Yes. Um. So I, yeah, I found it quite reassuring. I haven't read all of it, as is usually the case, because I'm I'm useless. 
but um, I honed in on because the, the 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 chapters have got really interesting names. So. Yeah, so you could just read a chapter. So I, I I suggest if you have only got like sort of dipping in time for it, start with the introduction and then pick a chapter that seems to suit you. You'll recognise if you yes. think it suits you. Yeah. So for example, personality clashes. What part do you play in them? Um, control freaks, bullies, and tyrants. How to deal with them and know when to run. So they do jump off the page. But the one that, um, there, well, there were two. Chapter 12, Will Work Ever Love Me Back? I haven't read that, but I'm quite interested to know what that actually means. But the one that I honed in on was The Upside of the Downside, When Our Neurotic Traits Come to Our Rescue. And whether I've been um, hit by the positive news stick or not, I don't know. But it actually starts to talk about some of the behaviours that we learn as a child and through our life can actually we might see them as negatives in the first instance but they shape the way that we act and the way that we respond yeah and can really help us um in the long run if we take the time to sort of stop and look at them so she talks about the fact that her mother was um was jewish and um she tells some and, and was um rounded up by the nazis and so she she talks about which obviously is a very powerful and, and and quite painful story but she talks about that and then some of the things that her mother said and does or says and does um that actually play themselves out quite well later in life when you've gone through that sort of horrible um encounter and how having that perspective, which is like a protection mechanism, I think, yeah. can actually be used for the positive later in life. So I thought that was quite interesting. Also, I think what's really useful is, as with a lot of these things, it's good for self-reflection, but it's also good to help you to recognise these things in other people. Yeah. So you get a bit of an understanding of the nature of your relationship with them, why they're responding in the way that they are. So it gives you a little bit of a sense of... Um, how you can navigate that relationship with them yeah yes if you know it about a particular individual yeah totally but but also I think there are some patterns I mean she, she refers um on page 233 she refers to a book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Outliers the story of success and he talks about um eminent orphans and he says uh, the fact that 12 American presidents lost their fathers while they're young is often cited too. Um, and in and also a book by a lady called Lucille Iremonger um, in a book in 1970, Fiery Chariot, a study of British prime ministers and the search for love. She says that 67 percent of British prime ministers from the beginning of the 19th century to the Second World War lost a parent before the age of 16. So what is it that, ha you know, it can't be coincidence something yeah. must happen that makes them use that sort of um trauma to grow and she calls it post-traumatic growth uh so yeah i mean that's not to say that everybody who loses a parent young should be prime minister or um yeah. president of the united states yeah please don't think you've got it wrong no yeah. no but it is there's something there isn't there yeah um in a, a quick answer to to your question about um, will work ever love me back, yeah. I think the answer is rarely. Oh, yeah, just okay. one word answer. Um, there, there is it's it's quite a short chapter, 
Um, but, you know, it might do. And it's probably a grey area between yes and no. But ultimately, don't go to work looking for the emotional nourishment that you're not getting from your life. Right. Yeah. Okay. It won't do it on its own. It yeah. might form part of. Yeah, it's part of it, but not not entirely. Right. Yeah, don't don't rely on your occupation entirely for emotional nourishment, because uh, what she says here, what happens when you come to retirement, or if the job ends, or the company collapses, or you're made redundant, if that is the only place you get emotional nourishment, so um, you can feel you're living quite bereft. I suppose that's like any relationship, isn't it? Don't if, put all your eggs in one basket. In, yes, because if you are, if you don't have interests outside of your relationship. If your relationship disappears, you are left high and dry, really, aren't you? Yeah. So maybe it's the same. It's the same thing. If you had to, because you have read the whole book, if you had to s- s- single out the most powerful chapter, which one do you think it might be? Um, I know this sounds a bit weird, but it was the introduction. Okay. Yeah. It. It was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it like this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it. 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 Um. Because I suppose when I looked at it, I was treating it a bit like um, oh, another self-help book. I mean, I didn't have a great experience with self-help books normally. No, but no. actually what it what it did was it helped me to um, place the book where it needed to be for yeah. me. So this is you know, it's educational. It wasn't just about helping me to understand myself um, and, and that... And, and as I was reading through it, and I, I did in in some cases um, go quite quickly through the chapters, um, but for me it was like okay now I know, and what I can do is I can dip into the chapters when it suits. Um, but I found something useful in most of them, mm-hmm. um, and it was particularly I was home when when I was feeling that okay I need to rush through this chapter a bit. Um, I always read the individual stories. Yeah. So if I was skimming anything, yeah. it was what she said around it's it. Joining actual, it together. Yeah, yeah. actual experiences were good. Uh, for intrigue, um, the, in the in defence of most narcissists, it was quite intriguing. <laughs> so most. Um, most, yeah. Um, sort of reading about um, psychopaths and narcissists. Um, as we've reviewed one of the books and where we talked about um, toxic psychopaths um, in, in the workplace and, and how... Uh, common they are actually it's interesting about um not all narcissism is pathological and sort of making the difference between um pathological narcissists and uh productive narcissists i'm still not sure i could completely explain that but at some point there is there is a narcissist that isn't quite as bad as the other one (laughs) well interestingly she starts the chapter trying to draw comparisons to um trump yeah, um, and sort of saying that actually he this, might not be a narcissist. He might just traumatized be... child. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's been a lot said about his childhood, and it sounds absolutely horrendous. And uh, you, you can sort of see he's why he's been damaged potentially, mm. and mm. he wouldn't admit that because you know the the traits he's displayed are typical narcissism. But a really interesting examination of why he behaves like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's worth um, considering, uh, particularly if you're looking into uh, understanding relationships at work, mm. you know, so like getting to understand how to work with people. 
actually, apart from that, I wasn't quite sure then um, how to place it. So she's done a lot of work with people who struggled in the workplace. And what I picked up is a lot of them were surprised that they were struggling. They thought they were doing okay, and then something came to a head, and they realised, shit, this isn't going well for me. You know, so people who've done well in their career or thought they were doing okay, and then there's been this like sort of almost crisis point, and they've gone to her for help. And I, um, a couple of things at the back is saying, do you, does criticism from the boss sometimes feel like a blow to your self worth? Have you ever felt guilty for resenting a colleague's success? Do feelings of inadequacy leave you anxious despite evidence that you're great at your job? So this would suggest that it's a book for people who've recognised that there's a problem. Yeah, but okay. I would suggest it's worth reading to see. If there's a pro- you might not have recognised you've got a problem until you read some of the chapters. Or you might be the problem. If you can approach yeah. it with a true open mind, yeah, absolutely. it may be that, maybe maybe not so much now, but in situations in the past, maybe you were the dominant boss, yeah. the you know slight bully or whatever. So. And, and then getting to start to think about, okay, so where did this come from? It's not saying that you're a bad person. It's no. trying to explain where this pattern of behaviour came from. So, yeah. The Man Who Mistook His Job for His Life by Naomi Shragai. Or Naomi Rose as the comedian, but Naomi Shragai. And I agree with you. Just on the title, I don't really understand why that's the title. I mean, it stands out, doesn't it? It probably sells books. But is that the title of this book, really? Yeah. I'm not even sure the How to Thrive at Work by Leaving Your Emotional Baggage Behind sums it up. Mm. But yeah, mm. I think it's worth a read anyway. So. Well, she sold at least two copies because we've got one each. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, our company profile this week is a Welsh company, Clog Eye, Clog Eye Gold, and all of the various companies that uh, are part of the group. Um, the actual company is Clog Eye Gold of Wales. That's the uh, jewellery trading company. And I had to delve into the stat accounts to understand the actual group itself. Where did you start, Heather? I started by looking at their website and trying to find out you know, where they came from because... It's an interesting story, isn't it? It is, yeah. isn't it? Well, I think... I mean, we li- well, you live in Wales. I live on the Welsh borders. And Clog Eye Gold has been sort of known to me for quite a long time, but now it has a presence on the high street. Yeah. But I think most famously, Welsh gold um, has been uh, used for royal wedding rings. Yeah. And that's so I think perhaps, you know, the Queen or, or Charles and Diana would perhaps be the first time that yeah, I came across. Yeah, the first one I'm aware of. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. But, it, but it, it, it's a thing. And the on their website, they talk about, um, the discovery of some mining of some gold in Snowdonia, the unusual um, composition of that gold, and what makes it unique, um, and then you know the the royal gold element, and so it was quite some time before they started to use the gold in a mass production kind of a way. I don't know if there's a finite amount of this gold. <laughs> But, a, I guess there's a finite amount of gold in the universe, hasn't yeah, there? So, but, yeah, but how much is in that mine? Yes, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But um, 
yeah, quite an interesting story. So 1989, they, they discovered um, an abandoned gold mine. So it's in Snowdonia. Um, and like you say, yeah, it was 1994 before they did the first range of jewellery. And uh, the founder, William Roberts, actually made a decision that he was going to make the best use of this gold. And I think that's a really good decision. It's a rare commodity. so you, scarcity thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so you don't want to use it on something nasty and cheap, I guess. So you want to make something that is considered high quality and... Um, so he he was looking at high quality beauty and originality as as the main oh and uh, Wales, yes. uh, being part of it as as being the main design inspirations. But but what that's doing is it's so yes it is a rare commodity, but actually it's now been labelled as a rare commodity that is used by royalty. Therefore, the implied value. I mean, I don't know how much of the gold is in. You know, if you buy clog eye products on the high street, how much of it is pure clog eye gold? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Mixed with other gold. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't know. I don't. I'm not suggesting that they're not selling anything. You know, there's any trades description or anything, but it's quite interesting. Yeah. So it says that their Welsh gold promise is every piece of clog eye jewellery contains rare Welsh gold. Um. And it goes on to talk about it being famous through the um, royal royalty. There was quite a lot of royalty named there as to having um, been used by the British royal family. It says it's guaranteed to contain rare Welsh gold. It doesn't say how much, just to contain it. Mm. Um, and it comes with its own unique Welsh dragon and CG mark. Um, and that's stamped on each piece. Um, and each piece is... Uh, Crafted using traditional jewellery making techniques and hand finished. So you can sort of see what, you know, it's definitely going for the high end. Interesting though, so guaranteed to contain rare Welsh gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 that's, that's how much. fine, yes. yes. But I imagine that the the rings for the royal family are pure, pure. clog eye gold, so, yeah. I think. And maybe some of the stuff on the high shot. Now I really don't know, so yeah. could have got this totally wrong, but. Um, you would imagine there's a business case for potentially not all of it being... Well, because once you start mass-producing, it's going to run out, isn't it? You know, they haven't got a mine full of the stuff. I think they've opened it up several times over the years, but I think that the final... Was it 1999? Yeah, they kept reopening it and mining it and... Um, can't see. In 1999, the mine was taken over and held by a local exploration company. Um, so in the late 1990s, the last train carrying Welsh gold from the mountain, uh, from the mine, clanked to a halt. So it's going to be a depleting commodity, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, as a company, what um, what did you find out on Companies House in terms of okay, their... Okay, I found a lot of house. companies listed. So Clog Eye Gold of Wales... Clog Eye Holdings, which was the clue in the name, I went there first. Clog Eye Motors, Clog Eye um, Renewable Energy, Clog Eye St David's Gold Mines, CG Canic. Um, but I also went for it because it had the, um, the same address, so I assumed it was something to do with that. And Clog Eye Waste Services, but now dissolved. So I wasn't quite sure where they all fitted. So I, I dug into 
the holding company's accounts. And lo and behold, section 16, it lists the subsidiaries. So oh, that's always great. quite handy. Okay. So um, Clogeye St. David's Gold Mines Limited is uh, dormant. Clogeye Renewable Energy Limited, that's a renewable energy company, that's still live. Um, Clogeye Hong Kong Limited is dormant. Clogeye Shanghai Trading Company Limited is a retailer. It still seems to be live. Clogeye Gold of Wales, retail of jewellery, and that, that's the main trading company. Yeah. Clogeye Canuck and Clogeye Shrewsbury are both dormant. So um, let's have a look here. So the registered office is um, in Bottle Wizen. And, um, yeah, this, the... Um, Hong Kong and the Shanghai companies are obviously based in Hong Kong and Shanghai. So, um, and much bigger than I thought, actually. So when we first started looking at this, I had no sense of the size of the company. So their latest accounts have been filed um, for the year ended 30th of September 2021. And the turnover of the group here, so this is the group income for 2020 was... Um, 11,000, 11 million, sorry, just over 11 million. Okay, yeah. And for turnover in 2021 was uh, just over 21 and a half million. Right, okay. Now, was, did I, or did I read that COVID impacted on that? Um, because this isn't the sort of thing that you just buy online. I mean, you can buy online from their website, I think. Yeah. But I think I read somewhere that there was, you know, it's not that their business has grown, has doubled in turnover. So people have been buying stuff instead of going on holidays. and. I think, yeah, yeah. well, I think, I think so I, uh, what was, um, I'm not sure what their turnover was prior to COVID. Mm. Um, however, the fact that they have now got a high street presence, mm. because up until now, I don't know about you, and maybe that's why you were surprised by um, the level of turnover. I used to think of it as being a sort of small craft mm jewelers yeah um but now i mean you can buy it you know you can buy stuff fairly, i don't know here we are there's a bracelet for 62 pounds you know that doesn't say and there's rose gold okay is that welsh gold you know yeah. what so there's certain blends aren't yeah. there at different yeah. price points yeah. i guess yeah yeah um looking at the accounts the most recent accounts um the outlook for growth and profitability is looking favorable um they're also um new online outlet store launched just before the year end so already quarter one 2022 they've seen significant benefits from that so right. um that's looking good um it says their conversion rate outperforms peers in the fashion vertical on the ingenuity platform and they're ready to turn their attention to a refresh of clogeye.co.uk um they've launched a few a new um a new initiative designed to reward wholesale wholesale clients improve storytelling they've got a whole section on the website about their ambassadors haven't they and so i think that's quite important yeah um, for the brand um and they're opening high street stores so um They've got 17 stores. Well, when they published the accounts, they had 17 high street stores, one of which is in Wrexham. Where does it relate? I haven't been able to... So, Alba Mineral Resources, um, apparently in 2018, 
bought up 90% stake in the gold mines of Wales Limited. I wonder whether, um, and it said uh, they would step up operations to locate and mine the precious mineral in the Dogethley Gold Belt. Today, they announced, this is December 2020, they announced the results of a drilling campaign around the old clog eye mine near Bondi. Oh, I don't know. So, interesting. Um, it, it's also interesting when you talk about mining, um, so I haven't I haven't drilled into the the um, legal structure around no the mining. No pun intended. Uh-huh. Drilled into. Haven't drilled into, yeah. Um, but... Obviously, the, there's environmental impact from mining, clearly. Yeah. So um, the, there is a statement in their stat accounts where they talk about being conscious of minimising the environmental, environmental impact and they're aiming for a sustainable business model. So apparently since right back from 1986, they say they've planted trees to offset their carbon okay. footprint. Um, and they've um, had many green initiatives. They're not... Um, named in so much detail in the stat accounts um but they've also constructed their own hydroelectric turbine in 2013 and they had solar panels in 2008 um and they've adapted to the shift to online shopping so they've changed their postal packaging boxes to be made from recycled um reclaimed card which is fully recyclable um and they I suppose, quite keen not to just be seen to be greenwashing. Um, they want to make good on their theme of sustainability. So increasing the tree planting, increasing the use of hydro and solar power. And they, with their innovative, they say, I don't know um, how much innovation is in it. So I actually need to read a bit more about that. Uh, the sustainable jewellery boxes. But did you say that the renewable energy company is still active? Yeah. So, so obviously that's that's part and parcel. They, they sit closely together. Yeah. Don't they? So yeah, um, it, it seems to be a very small part of their turnover. So they they are generating turnover from renewable energy as well. So presumably they're using what they need and putting some back into yeah. the grid. Um, but in twenty twenty. Of their eleven, just over eleven million pound turnover, eighty-eight and a half thousand pounds was for okay. renewable okay. energy. Yeah. And in twenty twenty-one, uh, of the twenty-one and a half million pound turnover, hundred and seven um, was hundred and seven thousand okay. was renewable energy. So I'm assuming that's from um, putting back excess energy onto the grid, which is a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, employees wise um, at, at the point at which they published the accounts the group employed 120 people okay. Okay. 78 sales and distribution 42 administration interesting company yeah yeah, yeah really interesting uh, makes me want to um, actually go and have a look in the shop because the, I didn't I didn't give myself enough time to research but I should have actually gone and poked around some of the products in the shop <laughs> yeah I think you real hands-on research you can spend thousands of pounds but you can also spend 65 pounds so I think it is that classic the devil will be in the detail in terms of the the blend yeah um it contains Welsh gold. Does it actually contain Welsh gold from that particular mine, or is that ring fenced for the higher end products? Yeah, don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so that that's the end of um, 
episode 198. Ooh! I can't believe we're getting close to 200 episodes. Oh my goodness, we're going to have a party for our 200th episode. Do you know what we should do? We should Get design drunk. a proper outro for this podcast. Oh, yes. We've been putting it off and putting it off, haven't we? We did have one when we were called uh, The Business Community. Yes. But since we rebranded last year, Big Business Briefs doesn't have a proper out. No. Right, we need to we need to work on that. Okay, before episode two hundred. Well, we could we could put that out there as an aim, and then <laughs> if it doesn't happen, we could just sing our own. We could just sing our own jingle. I think that's the challenge, isn't it? Is finding. Thank you for listening. Exactly. Or maybe not, not. No, not quite. But that's the thing. Trying to find non-copyright swooshes and tunes and things like that. Whereas if we just got a glockenspiel. <laughs> And like Heidi High. Right, the, funny. the challenge is to get a little xylophony type thing. Yeah. All right then. Thank you very much for listening. Next time we'll have a xylophone. <laughs> <laughs>